you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. One of the hardest things for us to do in our suffering is to put it into context, biblical context and kingdom context. The man whose wife tells him she is leaving him after 25 years, he asks, what do I do now? I don't want her to leave. My life is over. What will I tell the kids? How am I supposed to survive this? He doesn't want to put his suffering into the context of all the evil in this world or the fact that God has a role in his suffering, Satan has a role, and fallen people has a role, have a role as well. He doesn't care what the bigger kingdom story is, his future, his kids' future, or even how the gospel advances in a new way because of his divorce. Understandably, he just wants his wife to stay married to him and to have a happy marriage. Or there's the teenager who is filled with anxiety over her grades in school, not having friends, being isolated and alone much of the time. She doesn't want to have someone talk to her about the source of all of the suffering in this world. She doesn't want explanations about God's role, Satan's role, and the place of her own sin in her suffering. She just wants friends and good grades and have something calm her nerves. To them, and maybe you too, this discussion on the problem of suffering just feels so philosophical and theological and not too practical. After all, people with problems just want their problems solved. While I totally sympathize with that feeling, I want to remind us of how important our theology is when it comes to our problems. It will either orient our thinking to all the wrong solutions or direct our minds to what God is doing in our lives. Our theology of suffering matters because if we don't truly believe what God's Word teaches, our problems will only lead us deeper into self and away from Christ. The man going through divorce will become disillusioned with Jesus and his church or end up remarrying someone just to be happy again. The ancient teen may find short-term solutions just to not have to think about her problems that much, leading her into a new relational or emotional suffering. But when in the midst of the storm of suffering, we are reminded about the source of our suffering, where it comes from, the roles of God, Satan, and the human being, then we can put all of it into the right context. And context is everything. We are not alone in our suffering. God is in control. So what am I called to do about it now? That's why we must dig down deep and get our theology of suffering right. In this episode, we'll continue walking through the source of the evil of suffering. We are now at the point where we need to make a thorough biblical evaluation of the cause of all evil. How does the Bible explain it? So let's look at the originating cause of evil. First, in the angelic world. Well, of course, this leads us back to Satan. Satan was created as a sinless, morally responsible, angelic creature. 
Ezekiel 28 verses 11 through 19 gives a description of Satan before he fell, comparing the king of Tyre to Satan. Listen to this description. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. So Satan was a sinless creature at first. But this passage also describes his fallenness when he sinned. And what we see here is that Satan's sin of rebellion against God was self-originated pride. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about Satan's sin in discussing the quality of elders in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. Paul writes, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and pride and fall into the condemnation like the devil. Sin originated in an act of Satan's own free will, insofar as he could and did exercise it contrary to God's desire. And then our next point is that God chose not to stop Satan from committing sin. And so he ordained Satan's chosen path of disobedience. And then next, as a consequence of Satan's rebellion against God, spiritual warfare broke out in all creation. We know that an angelic host rebelled with Satan and became demonic emissaries to promote his opposition to God. We read of that in Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So we also know that a counterfeit kingdom and program was inaugurated by Satan's fall, as evidenced by Satan's appeal to Eve in the garden and the offer of Satan to Jesus during Jesus' temptations. So Satan became 
the deceiver of nations. Again, we read that in Revelation 12, 9, that he leads the whole world astray. This policy of deception is far-ranging and has contributed to untold human misery. What is the essence of the deception of Satan? Well, the essence of that deception is that man can do what God alone can do. Trying to get a utopia without God. Trying to get everything we want without God. So then we also know that Satan leads the blinding of the non-Christians to the gospel and reinforces man's innermost hostility to God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We also learn from Scripture that Satan works to tempt God's people contributing to the sufferings in their own lives. Now, there's numerous examples of this in the Bible, just, but just a couple. We have Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. You remember they lied to the apostles about selling their property and giving all to the church. And Peter said these words in Acts 5, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. We know also that Satan promotes idolatry and false religion in this world, which brings even more suffering into the lives of people. 1 Timothy 4, 1-2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Okay, I've thrown out a lot in a short amount of time. So let's make a quick summary of what we know about the originating cause of evil in the angelic world. First, God created a perfect angelic creature who became sinful through his decision to rebel against God. That's Satan. Second, we know that God is not to blame for Satan's sin. Third, we also know that God chose not to stop Satan's sin, so he ordained it. And then finally, we know that evil came from Satan, who had a capacity for good, but he was not forced to exercise that capacity. So that's the source of suffering in the angelic world. Well, from the angelic world, we go to the source of suffering in the human race. And these are some things we already know, but let's review them. First, sin entered the human race when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's authority. Remember, we read this in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Clearly, then, we learn that man was created with a capacity for evil but was not forced by God to exercise that capacity. So have you ever stopped to think about why Adam and Eve chose to sin? We really can't say it was just Satan's fault, even though he did a good job of deceiving them. There's really just not a great answer to that question. Somehow Adam and Eve decided it was better to gain knowledge on their own rather than relying on what God had taught them or what God was doing in their life. 
So then next we learn that man was drawn away from God and through an act of rebellion plunged himself and his world into the sorrows of death. This was a self-generated act of disobedience. That's so important to remember. Then we also find out from Scripture that the sin of Adam incurred fear, dread, avoidance, and all the sorrows of great spiritual guilt. We see this again in Genesis 3. And remember, the sin of Adam then brought a host of personal problems into his life for the first time. He became enslaved to sin. His mind was darkened. He suffered from self-deception, self-centeredness. Man's mind then has an inbred bias against God, which brings great suffering. But we also know that the fall of Adam resulted in a breakdown in his relationships. We see problems in marriage right away. Man willfully participates in the sins of others. We see untold conflict begin with his fellow man. We also see that man rejects authority and violates the rights of others. Original sin made relationships messy from the very beginning. And then we also learn, finally, that the fall of Adam brought a divine curse upon creation. Woman is now subjected to suffering in pregnancy and childbirth. A curse has been placed on the ground. Man's plight was to be a never-ending effort to survive in a world of decay and death, a constant battle. We also learn that work now brings toil and hard labor. And then finally, death becomes the end of all his toil. Listen to Romans 8, verses 19 through 21. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So now it's time for another quick summary. First, there was no evil in God's original creation. Second, the Bible attributes the presence of evil in this world to the choices of free agents whom God created. Third, the sin of Adam brought great pain and suffering to all of creation. And finally, creation as a consequence of man's sin is not attaining its intended purpose. So we must truly understand the role of Satan and sin in order to understand suffering. Think about it. Most people in our day deny the existence of Satan at all. And certainly they deny the existence of their own sin when they think about their suffering. If those origins of evil and suffering are denied, what do you do? Well, you either blame God, if you even believe in him, for your problems, or you end up seeing things as just random, or you blame something else, other people, the government, genetics, body chemistry, etc. 
But we must take sin and Satan into account to really begin to solve problems biblically. Now, since this is a podcast devoted to practical biblical help for counseling issues, let's pause and work on a case study together. This case study builds on the teaser from the introduction. Your neighbor Joe drops in on you one day and he is extremely distraught. He tells you that he is suffering from the worst depression in his life. He says, my life is over. A month ago, as you already know, I lost my job. I still have absolutely no prospects. Well, last night my wife left me and she took the kids too. She says my anger has totally gotten out of control and that I've started drinking too much. Why is God punishing me like this? I've tried my best to be a good person and things were just fine until my boss fired me for no good reason. What's next? I'm even starting to have recurring chest pains and trouble breathing. I can't handle much more of this. What's wrong with me? So how would you respond to Joe if he were a non-Christian? What would you want to talk to him about? What would you deal with first? He speaks of God punishing him. So do you affirm the fact that there is the wrath of God for sinners? But he also certainly has a works righteousness mindset, thinking he's been a good person. So because he's been a good person, he shouldn't suffer at all. At the same time, is he ready to talk about the theology of suffering? Or should we just comfort him in his grief? But here's another important question. Don't we want non-Christians to be in pain so that they will see their need for a Savior? Well, as you contemplate those and other related questions, let's talk through the fact that pain and suffering is different for the non-Christian than the Christian in various ways. We'll put it this way. Here are the compounded experiences of pain and suffering for the non-Christian. The reality is that non-Christian is spiritually dead. So spiritual death, all by itself, when left unresolved, will only compound man's suffering. So here we go, the pain and suffering of the non-Christian. First, the non-Christian's primary unique suffering is spiritual entropy. All that means is a spiritual downward spiral where the non-Christian continues to reap what he sows, making each generation, actually, of non-Christian far worse off. Now, we read this truth in Romans 1, 18 through 32. This is a longer section, but we need to read through it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, 
and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, to do things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things as deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So let's break down this spiritual downward spiral and how it causes suffering. First, we see man's obstinance in his suppression of the truth in verse 18. Then in verses 21 to 23, we see that man's reasoning process becomes darkened and hostile to God. In verses 24 to 27, we see that God turns man over to the full experience of evil. These sins bring with them their own untold suffering. And then verse 28, man totally gives over to anarchy. And then in verses 29 and through 30, we see untold suffering compounding in their life. So see that downward spiral that begins simply with rebellion against the truth and against God. Well, that leads us to our second point, which are the chosen miseries of the non-Christian in this life. Through the rejection of God's revelation, man multiplies his own suffering in this world. He does this by his own personal acts of rebellion. Through his own actions, then, he brings the consequences of suffering into his own life. The non-Christian cannot say, that he has not caused his own suffering. And then third, there's the chosen misery of the non-Christian after death. Through the sorrow of dying without the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ, the non-Christian will suffer the worst suffering of all, eternal separation from God. So back to the case study, your non-Christian neighbor, Joe. I referenced it a few minutes ago, but let me say it more clearly. We want non-Christians to suffer in this life so they will not suffer in the next life. I know to some that may sound unkind, mean, and lacking compassion, but it is actually the opposite. Temporal suffering in this life is so much better than eternal suffering in hell. As C.S. Lewis famously said, Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So the big takeaway here is that suffering is meant to draw non-Christians to Christ. 
as Christians, we have to make sure we're not standing in the way of the work of God, not alleviating suffering in the life of the non-Christian just to help people's pain go away. Since we know the ultimate cause and source of suffering, we have to be careful not to offer solutions outside of the right theology of suffering. That means our goal is not just relieving depression or even dealing with an anger problem. It is pointing deeper to the need of his eternal soul for salvation. The only way to deal with the non-Christian suffering is turning to Christ. Now let's consider our friend Joe to be a Christian who actually goes to church with you. What would you deal with now? How would your counsel change? From the outset, you would certainly be free to talk about his relationship with God. You would also want to challenge his faith, his overall trust in God as well. Well, what about rebuking his sinful views about God and his suffering? But also, we must consider, what about the role of Satan in tormenting him through this time? Okay, as you think that through, let's talk through the compounded experience of pain and suffering for the Christian. Because, of course, the Christian is not exempt from sin, crime, sickness, or suffering. So here are some basic scriptural principles of the cause or source of suffering specifically for the Christian. First, suffering comes to the Christian because of his relationship to Jesus Christ. Listen to John 15, verses 18 through 21, where Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And then listen to the truths found in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as if some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So you are suffering in relationship to Jesus Christ, and this suffering can come then in a variety of forms. For example, you can have suffering in family relationships. Jesus actually speaks to this in Matthew 10, verses 34 to 37. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But suffering also comes from the abuse of non-Christians. Opposition, persecution, harassment, ridicule 
ostracism, misrepresentation, attacks on our integrity. But third, suffering also comes from being submitted to God. Just think about the example of Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. But fourth, suffering also comes from the struggle of the fleshly nature and the spiritual nature. We'll talk more about that in a future podcast. And then last, suffering comes from the opposition from established and false religion. We see this all through the book of Acts. The reality is the message of the cross of Christ is offensive and will bring ridicule from those to whom it is a stumbling block and foolishness. So if these are some of the causes of suffering for the Christian, what should be our response to this form of suffering? Well, as we'll talk later, we must rejoice. But then second, we must also understand another source of suffering, that suffering comes to the Christian because of Satan's hatred. Think about all the ways that Satan can make the Christian suffer. First, he may inflict physical pain. We see this in the story of Job, also Paul's thorn in the flesh. Satan also causes persecution to occur from people. Satan causes demons to oppose the believer by spreading false truths and doctrines. Satan takes advantage of the lack of love among Christians. Satan ultimately attempts to set traps such as lies, doubts, and deceptions. Think about what our response should be to this form of suffering. We should understand Satan's devices and put on the whole armor of God. Third, another source of suffering comes to the Christian because he is identified with fellow believers in the body of Christ. Scripture teaches us that when one member of the body of Christ suffers, we all suffer. It teaches our interdependence as the body of Christ. We learn that love among the brethren opens us up to pain, to hurt, and to suffering. So how should we respond to this form of suffering? Well, we should accept the bruises that comes as being part of the body of Christ. But consider, we often avoid this sort of suffering by our own independence. But finally, suffering can come upon the Christian if he is disobedient to God. So we do often bring our suffering upon ourselves. 1 Peter 4, 14 and 15 tells us, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Well, we know there are lots of examples in the Bible of this, whether it's Jonah or in the book of Judges or even David. So what should our response be to this source of suffering? Well, we should avoid it at all costs, as Peter said. So the causes of much of our suffering is different for the Christian than the non-Christian, even though the suffering itself can be the same. Again, we'll talk in further episodes about how to respond biblically to our suffering as Christians. 
So we come to the end of these two episodes on the cause or the source of the evil of suffering. We have discussed the role of God, the role of Satan, and the role of fallen sinful man. Knowing the source of the evil of suffering sets the context for all of our biblical counsel toward ourselves or to those who are suffering. So as we close, let's give a bottom line answer to all this discussion. I guess you could have just fast forwarded to this point in the podcast, right? Well, the conclusion of the matter is this. Sin is the source of all pain and suffering. Without sin, there would be no suffering. Now, that doesn't mean that personal sin is always at the core of our personal situation. Simply that sin overall has to be acknowledged as the source of suffering. And we see that from two vantage points. Man is fully responsible for his miserable position because of his sin. And secondly, sin originated in an act of Satan's free choices and then in the free choices of man. But don't forget the redemptive key. Sin, with its punishment of death, should result in mankind seeking God for the answer to the problem of suffering. There is no other solution. We'll continue our lessons on the problem of suffering next time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.